Good evening, Mr. Turpin. Hello, Mr. Elliman. How are you? I am fine and dandy. It's been a while, hasn't it, since we uh, we keep missing each it has. other. Yes, and uh, it's <clears throat> it's not good enough. All right, I see. <laughs> it's not really. You know, we need to get back into a routine. I think the routine helps, doesn't it? I think it makes for a better show when we're um, we're in a bit of a routine with it. Yeah, definitely. So this one's going to be terrible. Yeah, because we've got quite a sort of a, a, a log jam of news items and bits and bobs, and we can't decide on a subject of what we're going to direct our our, in, our sort of gaze at. Um, but it's never quite defined, is it? In no, it's, so, it's been so long. Some of my news items are um, from 2016. Uh, I've just updated some of mine. Uh, have you now? Yeah. I couldn't be positive. <laughs> uh, excuse me while I just open a beer. Oh. Uh, a bottle of Adnam's Southworld beer. As uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the North Norfolk coast. I thought I'd reminisce a little with some Adnam's. <clears throat> here's mm. here's the big news for this week, Rob. I've I've given up the bottle. Wow. Yeah. Is that a, a, a permanent lifestyle no. choice? Are you having a... Is, it, is September the month where everyone oh, knocks it on the head? Dry month. Dry no, temper. January, isn't it? Is it? No, dry temper. September. September. <laughs> <laughs> You're oh, only allowed to sip day. sherry. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to... I'm going to give up till Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's then just become, drink all the sherry. Yeah. It's, just, it's getting too much of a regular thing. And yeah. uh, I feel like I'm thinking about the next the next beer mm-hmm. before I finish the current one, which yeah. I don't think is a good place to be in. And considering I come from a long line of uh, addicts and uh, all sorts of ne'er-do-wells, I think it's it's a, a good to have a bit of self-restraint. Absolutely. So uh, I'm, I'm over a week in, um, lots, of, lots of cups of tea. And biscuits. Well, you can't knock that, can you? <laughs> Biscuit of so choice. Enjoy your beer. I'm very jealous. Uh, my, it's a rich tea for me. Really? I'm a puritanical southerner. Oh, you just so. Jesus. Yeah. Barely well, qualifies what, as a biscuit for me. What would you? What, what would you have? I, uh, you know, if you tap it and no weevils come out, it's not a proper biscuit for me. <laughs> John's on the hard tack. <laughs> uh, I'm a chocolate hobnob type of guy don't say that (laughs) (laughs) and I am the king of Siam welcome to our show a chocolate hobnob yeah um, yeah they're not they're not they're not good for dunking are they I'm never I'm not a dunker right no anyway do you want to introduce the show yes this is uh, welcome to North v South the podcast that is and isn't about design this is episode 84 and we haven't been around for a couple of weeks, we just said. And uh, last episode, we had the lovely Dan Berry on. He was lovely, wasn't he? Yeah, really good. Really enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, then get yourself over to uh, northvsouth.co.uk. Yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? Uh, well, it's in north, fact, it's north hyphen. Hyphen. V. V. Hyphen. Snappy, isn't it? But we're now on... We've got an SSL certificate, so we're now HTTPS. So if you look, if you view us on oh, Chrome or something you... like that, you get a nice little tick tick box or green That's nice, mark isn't it? or whatever. Yeah, it, it will get us uh, ranking a little bit better, but yeah. also, um, yeah, just reassuring for our, our fans. Yes, yeah, so all of you um, P 
people who are spies or um, or secret agents, then um, your interaction with our podcast will be secure. Yep. Unless you're <coughs> Russians visiting Salisbury Cathedral. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what's on your desk? Well, I got a new desk, Rob. I've been to Ikea. Uh, mm-hmm. Came back with meatballs, <clears throat> coffee beans. Yep. Coffee bean, a pack of, how much do you reckon a pack of Ikea coffee beans? Oh, are? it's hard to say, isn't it? Three pounds. Two pound fifty. Oh. Yeah. And are they, are they good? They were really good. Yeah. yeah. So, Single um, origin. Oh, I don't know about no, that. But they, were, they, they were, um, they were uh, ethically sourced, I guess. Probably when they saw the trees down, they fall out of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm just you sent me a picture of your uh, your desk this evening, tidy ish, yeah. and uh, so you've you've swapped sides in I your have. in your. I've studio. gone to the dark side. Yes, uh, quite literally. I'm now you know I'm running um, whatever Apple are calling their latest M- Mojave, Mojave, yes, uh, so which has I. got a dark mode in it. Um, and uh, so I thought I'd go against the dark wall. No, I've swapped it around because now behind me I've got a bench that runs. Uh, about it's about three meters long so for the printing stuff it's absolutely brilliant and now kitty's got a little uh a little craft station in there so she sits there drawing away while i'm working which is nice Ooh. i can keep an eye on her uh so yeah no it's much improved much improved but it's a temporary temporary fix at the moment. <clears throat> does your fern have a name no i've only just moved him in there he's looking a bit bedraggled isn't just he? look a little yeah, dry in this picture. Yeah, but he's a new acquisition, so he's um, he's uh, he's he's just settling in. Uh, no, he don't, I don't name my plants. No, I've got a, name. I've got a cactus called Colin. which, yeah. you know, it's the only name for a cactus, really, isn't it? I'm working on a couple of websites uh, written here where the projects are very blurry, ill-defined beginnings and ends. So, I mean by that is. They got you know I, I understand the briefs and we're working through it, but there's sort of bits being tacked on or slight adjustments made, which you know unless you and, and I'm doing so much of all different bits and bobs with the branding and all sorts, so it's really hard to actually sometimes stop the ball from rolling on any further mm. because you know you've got I say say I've got a brochure running concurrently with a website, uh, there's something might. It inherently change in the brochure, which then obviously gets reflected in the in the website. Yes, because I'm running them both at the same time. It, it's really really hard <laughs> to uh, to keep a balance on. So it's kind of causing me. I, I've um, it's just uh, it's just taking longer than I than I'd hoped. Yeah, is this? Are you on your own for this project, or do you have your kind of copy? No, I'm on my own, and I'm working with a team on the, uh, uh, the on the client side. A team, yes, but they're only on it sort of part time. So again, like there's big delay, you know, there's big yep. sort of gaps in in any feedback. Um, but yeah, as, as a result, I'm struggling to gain traction with all the stuff I'd kind of hoped that I would be doing by the end of the summer. I didn't really want to be doing any commercial work um, mm-hmm. other than my own stuff. But you know, beggars can't be choosers, so you know. These are the last two that I've got in the in the pipeline. I'm not looking for anything else at the moment. So, what about you? What's what's on your desk? I'm working on the last uh, of a bunch of commissions. A couple of weeks ago, after I finished the the book illustration work, I put out a sort of a an announcement that I was free to do some commissions and got quite a nice response. So, I got a half a dozen commissions in. 
So I'm just working on the last of those, which is like a little kind of asteroid mining chap and a couple of robots. Um, so that's that's good. Um, what else is on my desk? Well, to be honest, the, my desk is just and my studio space is just absolutely littered with stuff. I haven't got enough bookshelves. I haven't got enough drawers, and it's all getting out of control. Um, so you were at the stage I was a couple of weeks ago, where just I couldn't put anything down without lifting something else up. No, yeah, it's exactly like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's a mess, and I need to sort it. But I keep kind of picking things up and just then wondering where on earth to put it. So uh, I might have to go the whole hog and just turf out all the boxes that are behind my desk and kind of start from scratch. I've, I've got too many books. That's one of the problems. And not enough bookshelves. But I haven't got anywhere else to put any more bookshelves, so don't quite know what to do about that. Um, but there's not an awful lot else on my um, desk, really. So you finished your big illustration job. Yep. So I've and got uh, just over a month to wait until that book is out. Right. Um, and the other book is out sometime next year. Um, uh, I've done some promo work. Actually, the, the book was based on Philip Reeve's Mortal Engines books. Uh, and I've just done some promo work for him. So I did some postcards and bookmarks for his new series of books, which is kind of like a young adult sci-fi series of books. Um, <clears throat> so they're really nice. And they... Um, They've gone down quite well. They've got a nice response on Twitter. He's been signing them and giving them away at events and readings and things. Uh, it's not something I've done before. Um, well, yeah. And the other thing that's not exactly on my desk, it was in my ears. Uh, ASMR. ASMR. Um, What's that? It's, uh, it's Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Of course. So <laughs> it's that... Um, it's kind of like surround sound. So if you're wearing headphones and you're listening to a video and you can kind of hear things in both ears. But it's also uh, an absolute rabbit hole on YouTube. Um, and I was listening to a podcast this week, which actually is my website of the week, um, the Sunnyside Podcast Show, and they talk about ASMR on YouTube and they describe it as um, attractive women um, whispering things. It is very weird. Okay. So basically, if you if you've got headphones on, you listen to these videos, and it sounds like it's it's kind of like stereo on steroids because they use either twin microphones or they use kind of a dual microphone setup so that the space between the microphones is the space between an average set of ears. <laughs> so, but it's really weird. So, this kind of. Uh, there's no kind of normal relaxation type stuff. So there's, you know, wind chimes and the sound of rain. And there's, you know, the noisier app that we've talked about on here that does kind of that white noise stuff. Like yeah. Coffee shops or rain. You can get that all that kind of stuff in ASMR. ASMR. But um, most of it is stuff to help you sleep. But most of those seem to be women stroking microphones with feathers. It's it's the weirdest thing. But these things have got millions of views and there are millions of them. It's just this. Mm. I mean, I have not been listening to them. I just find it absolutely bizarre. But who knew that there was this kind of whole 
weird niche of stuff out there. Mm, and it's just sound. There's no video on it. Well, no, there is video of them stroking a rubber ear with a feather, which, you know, makes it even weirder. How bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> you should, uh, after the show, go on YouTube, yeah, ASMR, yeah. and, um, ASMR. you know, don't fall down the rabbit hole. <laughs> culturally, culturally wise, mm-hmm. um, bit low, bit lowbrow at, at the moment. I am. Um, I've got. Uh, I've been watching Battlestar Galactica, the the, old, the 2000 series. Um, but well, they must be ten years old now. Are they about the not the seventies one. one? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched those uh, a couple of years ago. Pretty All good. Right. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying them. They're kind of. Uh, there's some really silly ones, and they're kind of procedural in in the fact that you know. There's this art, you know, it's that typical American thing where each episode has its own sort of self-contained story in it. Yeah. Um, it's closer to sci-fi writing than any other large sort of uh, blockbuster type TV series that I've watched recently. Yeah. Um, Star Trek, uh, didn't I just didn't enjoy it. I found it too, you know, too shonky. Um, and I thought the acting was pretty bad in it. Yeah. Although Battlestar Galactica... Tries its hardest, yeah, it um, but yeah, I really like the reboot of it, and I like the 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 Cylon kind of concept. It's kind mm. of it's a bit vampire like or werewolf like, rather than you know because they're basically the Cylons are humans as well. Yeah, you're never quite sure who's who at the beginning, anyway. Mm. But yeah, so I, I, I yeah I am enjoying those. Um, get funny, you know, get the eyebrows raised by my wife when I'm watching them, but. <laughs> I have enjoyed them. Um, it was similar to uh, a, sort of, uh, a chap that we both know, Jeremy Marshall. Um, he's on uh, Letterboxd, which is a film review site um, uh, that I'm on as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's my only friend on it. That's how popular I am. Um, <laughs> but he had reviewed a film called uh, Something in the City of... Uh... Oh, Valerian. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yes. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? No. Uh, I thought it was terribly good. Yeah. Did you? It, what? Yeah, in a terrible way. Well, yeah. Do you know what? Do you know, it, there's some amazing bits in it um, and some nice ideas and it looked beautiful, if a little over complex at times. But the thing that killed it for me is the lead. The main chap. Dean DeHaan. Dean yeah, he was, Dean. He, was, he was not strong, was he? Just no charisma. No. She was great. Yeah, um, Cara Delevingne. Yeah, I think she's brilliant. Yeah, she's um, very good. And uh, I thought that I thought it was again that was really close to how sci-fi books feel to me. You know, it had a bit of that world world building that was kind of believable. Everything was, you know, uh, yeah, there was time between them moving from one space to another. There wasn't this instant kind of like now we turn up here and then we're suddenly yeah, across yeah. the galaxy somewhere else. Uh, yeah. And it, and it, and I like the fact that there wasn't really a central bad guy, um, you know, like sort of an over, you know, like an, mm. an evil emperor or anything like that. It's one of uh, those um, comics. So the original comic by um, Jean-Claude Mezier, um from the seventies or late 60s I think it's massively influential and you can kind of see lots of Star Wars in his original comics even down to the the kind of designs of things like the Millennium Falcon and C-3PO and uh, you know Leia's um, hut outfit and you know there's loads of stuff that's directly taken from Valerian and Loreline so it's massively influential but I just 
I don't know. Oh, was... I had fun. I love the initial uh, space station build-up from the yeah, original very know, from cool. one module, how it how it grows over hundreds yeah. of years into a, a sort of fully fully formed, almost like mini planet. Mm. Um, but uh, you was you pointed out somebody on Twitter. I think you retweeted someone's post on Twitter, which follows this kind of uh, thread, which was uh, about that you know something always comes from something else. Oh yeah, um, so Pascal Blanche, yeah, who's a concept artist. He has been posting a series of kind of side by side comparisons of of different artists. Um, That's a brilliant thread. Yeah, it is. It just introduced yeah. me to so much stuff because you know I, I'm an absolute uh, numbskull when it comes to illustrators and knowing names of people, and so it's, yeah, it's a real, really good rabbit hole to follow that one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another illustrator that I really like that I've been watching with Kitty uh, is the Hilda is, is Hilda cartoons. Mm. Um, from the Hilda comic books by Luke Pearson. Uh, he's a British comic book artist. Do you know, have you heard of him? I've only heard of the, the TV thing. Um, but now I'm looking at Hilda. I absolutely recognize it. Yeah. So the and books it, look like um, Tintin, don't they? Yes. Like they've, the got that, they've got that, that line, that line weight to them. The, the, uh, the, the TV, the, the animation is even, is even more defined than yeah. The, the, yeah. Cause the, 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 uh, the original books are quite sketchy, whereas these are much more um, defined in terms of shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, he's an artist that I've always really, really loved his work. And he's married to um, Philippa Rice, who did car- my cardboard life. Okay. And uh, I'm a massive fan of her work as well. She did the Soppy comic that was out a few. Have you seen that one? Mm, no, 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 it's no. in red and red and black, um, and it's kind of just a sort of documents their relationship. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, but yeah, so um, a very talented couple. Mm. Um, but Hilda is brilliant. If you've got kids, uh, Kitty is loving it. It's kind of like a cross between Tintin and the Moomins. Well, yes, it really does have that kind of look about it, doesn't it? Yeah, and the storylines are very Scandinavian, sort of yeah. uh, folky. Cool. Um, yeah. And oh, my last on. one to read, oh, uh, I've discovered um, Why the Last Man. Have you read this, those comic series? No, I haven't. They're Brian K. Vaughan, who was Saga Chap, and also now oh. Paper Girls, which I've yes. thoroughly enjoyed. So this is, I think, one of his first kind of big series. And it's about, and it's being made into a TV program, actually. Um, FX are making it at the moment. Okay. Um, and it's actually, it's got one of the guys, the, the lead is the guy from Dunkirk, who is uh, on the boat with... Um, okay. Oh, not Harry Styles. Not Harry Styles, the other one. Kieran. Not yeah, not one. him, but it's the, the young, the boy. That, <laughs> not that one, well, but the other one. No, well, not that one, a, uh, That's a plot spoiler, isn't it? So... Yeah. Um, but it's basically uh, a plague hits Earth, kills every single man or male uh, creature, and it's about one survivor right. and his adventures of trying to get to go and see his girlfriend that he was on the phone with before it kicked off, and she's on holiday in Australia. It's really, really good. It's kind of like Preacher meets, oh God, what's that one at the, the end of the world one with Charlton Heston film? Oh, uh, I Am Legend. Yeah. Uh, Inktober. Yes. You've got Inktober planned. And I've just decided what I'm going to do for Inktober. All right, yeah. So I'm going to do it. Um, you are. I was toying with not doing it because I failed so miserably last time. And I thought maybe I should just carry on with what I was doing last time. But I'm going to do that as a, maybe a weekly thing. 
Um, but I'm going to do 31 little illustrations of creatures or characters from British folklore. Yeah, brilliant. And that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, so you're so going to be uh, didn't completely understand little. it half of them. No, uh, well, I you know I to look them up a lot of them, um, but they're going to be properly little, sort of two inch square. Yeah, little black and white illustrations. Keep things simple. Yeah, but that's what it. I reread some of the FAQs this year, and it mm. is a lot more clear in the fact that it is just about drawings and very limited color. Like it says, yeah. you know, just use one if you can possibly do. And I think that everyone was trying to. Well, me when I did it for the first time last time started off simple and then you ju- you're trying to create a work of art a day yeah it, it's great but it's exhaust absolutely exhausting yeah it's not mentally really feasible <laughs> um and i haven't kept it up afterwards which uh and i was having a chat with jess last night saying do i do this do i not do this i mean she's like well you know do you want to do it because you enjoy it or do you want to do it for you know commercial gain or whatever why why are you doing it and i still haven't answered that so i'm I'm umming and I'm on the fence at the moment. But can you reveal your plan? Should you? Well, my plan was to have um, is to do a, a townhouse. It is connected with another project that I've been trying to do anyway. But basically, yeah, like a, a fictional townhouse populated with my little higgles and pickles. Again, I might as well just stick with them. And uh, it was going to be like a uh, an upstairs downstairs story, and to use the format on. Uh, Instagram of the three wide and then just keep going up. So I start with the yeah. garden and then the basement, you know, kitchen cool. go up, going up all the way to the roof so that at the end it could be a self-contained print. Um, it would be really nice as a sort of like a, almost like a wall chart for kids that you could hang on the wall yeah. and color in. Are you planning to draw it all as one image? but like kind of a little square at a time or would they be individual squares that you'd kind of Photoshop together at the end? Yeah, this is the, this is the thing, isn't it? So it should be, well, I should have just a big massive sheet of paper and draw it out section by section. Um, But then I had the idea of what if I turn that into a, right. The motivation behind that is, it's really quite hard um, Mm. to do that kind of drawing. And last year I had the motivation because I was following a story of sorts so you were following the the history of printing last time, weren't you? Yeah. And so, you know, just drawing, I, I just never do it because it's not something that is in, you know, I don't have that urge to do it. I need a commercial or some kind of, you know, like a client wait mm. to do things behind me. Um, so one of the ideas was to actually write a little short story and then about either a, I was thinking either a burglary or a murder in the house and then tell the story panel well, by panel. Done, but, it would be great. Yeah, but that each panel would be. See, I was thinking I could either randomize it so that it will be assembled at the end into yep. a whole house of what happened, so that each day would be, you know, might be frame thirty-four or not thirty-four, but you know, frame twenty-four. <laughs> yeah, frame, um, and then assemble it all again That's at the really end. Nice. I like that because that gives me kind of incentive to do it. But yep. it's just like, how am I going to have time between now and the first to write that story mm-hmm. and? Uh, and st- start it off, but th- that's my kind of that's my concept anyway. Because it could be quite a cool little competition for Ellie Press to solve the murder. Yeah, uh, you have to reassemble it. Blah blah blah. I, I've spent far too much on my own, haven't I? <laughs> Thinking. No, I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, uh, but it, it was it was interesting to uh, go through the kind of the pain barrier of working out why I don't why I stopped doing drawing, why I don't do it, and 
I think it really is down to the fact that I should be telling stories, not drawing. Do you know what I mean? So you should be writing. Well, or, or writing or writing comics or narrative style illustrations is, I think, you know, where I I will find um, uh, the motivation to yeah. do that, to do that, because I definitely want to do it and I want to get back into illustration. I know that I will never make a career of it in terms of like earning enough, you know, to replace graphic design. Mm. But if I can merge the two together, then that would be good yeah i mean if it just becomes that kind of creative outlet that yeah. means you're not going to go mad doing websites exactly uh, so that i'm not making money but i i make or well, making a little bit of money but I, I think i need to have that narrative drive it's almost like a brief really isn't it if yeah. you talk about it in the coldest sense but yeah i need to be telling a story not just doodling i like it so and and are you enjoying the dark side um, I am. I'm just for the first time watching my desktop background change. It's amazing that we're still entranced by these basic features that should have been there since the beginning. Yeah, I mean, no. the dark mode. I mean, I think that was on, you know, a PC, a 286 PC I had was black with green writing on it. Yeah. It? Do you like it? Do you like <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, all, all my apps are in that. Have, my Adobe apps have been in that for yeah. a, a couple of years and yeah, me too. I, yeah I find and, and I code in black with um, mm-hmm. colored lettering on it and I find it so much more uh, less intrusive and less uh, just you know I don't get headaches anymore and stuff so yeah mm. I say bring it on I think I think it'd be great to see iOS in in black as well yeah yeah I was surprised it was a plan wasn't it It was talked about for iOS 12 that came out last week that it was going to have a dark mode and I think they've shelved it for next time <laughs> Well, I think that they've just got this overwhelming amount of apps that will be white. When you see a white yeah. app on the desktop, it looks really incongruous. Yeah. But this is real nitty gritty, nerdy stuff. So uh, I guess maybe we should get on to the news or have you got any uh, no, no, no. media stuff? No, no, no. I have yeah? nothing to add. Uh, so news. Sticking with Apple, should we mention the Apple event? Yeah, we can. Why not? Yeah. Uh, have you ordered your new phone yet? No. No, I've only had mine a year. So um, I'll probably grip my teeth and skip it, even though I'd yeah. quite like a, a 10 now. Um, but Steph will probably get one. Steph will probably get the 10S. Uh, yeah, 10S. The XS, 10S, whatever mm. it's called. What about you? No, no, not interested, really. Um, no. I find them all, they've all, they've hit that peak sort of. They do everything board, you need boredom. to do, don't they? So. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all super quick. Yeah, I thought that the uh, the, ca- the the amount of calculations they can do to take away the fact that there's no big mirror capturing light is quite insane. And yeah. uh, you know, the fact that they just sort of they've wiped the floor with all these kind of concept cameras. That was uh, Lightro and um, yeah. the one the other week that we were talking about with the thousand yeah. uh, lenses. Um, you know, it's just what's the point of having that? You just mm. got this uh you know everyone's saying oh it's a thousand pounds but yeah it's a thousand it's a tiny little computer in it's your a hand. computer a camera a <laughs> music like, player a phone yeah. uh, i mean it's you know it's incredible it, whether that's an apple or a samsung or whatever but yeah. it is it's fantastic so uh, yes i would really like a nice little camera thing but i don't need one so i wasn't that interested in anything else they had but to the say. watch uh, yeah, very, very nice. But Andy, again, when you get to our age, that it can tell when you fall. Yeah, my fall. Yeah. <laughs> um. uh, it's all a bit boring, really, isn't it? 
I, yeah. I wondered whether the, 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 they were going to bring out an iMac that has the uh, iPad Pro screen on it um, that you could do, you know, it, it's almost like a Wacom tablet. Uh, I know that Microsoft Surface have done this, and I'm just wondering whether Apple are ever going to consider doing that. Where I don't know. I mean, it's, it's that difficult. 24-inch or 27-inch would be just the best thing ever, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it would. I mean, they've still got, you know, they still say they've got plans for the pro set of computers, don't they? So you never know what they might bring out. Mm. Uh, well, we like maps, don't we, John? Yeah. There's a new map on the, on the, in the hood. Uh, it's not our hood. It's, uh, there's a new map of Antarctica. So it's not immediately of any use to us. Um, but it's rather incredible. It's called the REMA, the Reference Elevation Model of Antarctica. And it's got a resolution down to eight meters. So it's, um, higher resolution map than, than of any other place on earth, I think. Uh, and it's incredible. The detail is staggering. Um, there's a web viewer for it and you can zoom in and you can look at all the mountains and the ice and stuff. But it's just the level of detail on kind of like the ice sheets mm. and the glaciers that's just breathtaking. Can you see any penguins? I can't see any penguins. Although you probably, I don't know, because it's done by radar, isn't it? So it has no colour value to it. So no, you wouldn't see. From space, you can see the guano deposits of the emperor penguins uh, on Antarctica because it's just big swathes of brownie black across the ice. Uh, but as this is just radar, <clears throat> you won't see any of that. But it's uh, it's well worth a, a look. It's amazing, isn't it? It just looks mm. like it's from the moon or something. Yeah, incredible. I'm rather fascinated by Antarctica and kind of all the stories of exploration and things. One of my favourite books is The Worst Journey in the World by Apsley Cherry Gerard, who was on uh, Scott's journey to the... Uh, Antarctic Paul uh, and it's an incredible book really kind of vivid descriptions of what it was like down there uh, so what's your next bit of news Font Smith have got a library book out um, mm. that you can now buy uh, they make very lovely uh, little books um, they do a magazine every so often that comes out uh, but this one is just a collection of all their fonts and I don't think I've ever had one of theirs that I don't love. Um, my favourite one at the moment is F.S. Elliot. Really love that. I love their stuff. So It's bloody beautiful, isn't it? That book? Yeah, it's really, really beautiful looking book. It's strange that in some ways that that's kind of still a thing. Um, when I was at college studying graphic design, we used to send away to type foundries and um, try and get hold of type specimen books because basically it was the only way we could use them. You know, we'd photocopy them and trace the type in them to design stuff. Um, and there was there was no other way really for students to get hold of type. Right? Yeah, so, but it's it's kind of nice to see that the specimen book is still a thing. Yeah, well, I've, I, in fact, I'm chucking two out at the moment. I should say, if anyone wants them, um, then get in touch because I've got uh, two collections of the they're kind of postscript font library guides mm-hmm. um they're both probably a thousand pages each i have no use for them whatsoever and they've just been sitting on my bookshelf i'm being utterly brutal i've also got one called 
Rookledge's classic international typefinder, which is a kind of paper version of uh, of whatever that font finder one was called. I can't remember what that was called. Mm, uh, yeah. We you could upload a little image and yes, uh, and guess and what the so font it, thing. Yeah, it does it by shapes and stuff. But um, again, I haven't opened the book in ten years because everything is done online now, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, I'd say it's, it's a beautiful book and it's also um, really good value. It's 15 quid. That's not 500 bad, fonts. Yeah. I mean, their book, their fonts aren't cheap. So <laughs> yeah, fonts aren't cheap. No. Oh, I had a client. I had a client this week. I actually, a, a, another, I don't know if they were doing design or something. They were trying to get me to do um, some like free artwork for them because they didn't have the font. And I, and they said, Oh, what font is this strap line that you've used? Um, on the uh, on, on this logo, I said blah blah blah, and um, and I put on the link. I just put a, a link to um, font font shop, mm-hmm. and the, I know the collection is like five hundred quid. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sending them a zip file, which is what they want, isn't it? Of, yeah. the, of the stolen typeface. I was like, a client, I might just do it, but I'm not doing it for somebody else who's doing work that, and they don't want to pay me. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So and they came back to me and they're like. Could you type it out for me and send it as an outline vector? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I was like, no, I'm not. I've bought that. So. Yeah. Uh, sticking with type, um, Mash Creative, which is a design company uh, in the UK. They produce fonts every now and again, and they've just uh, released their latest font, which is called Aonic, which is very, really nice. On Instagram, they've done a beautiful little kind of. Um, uh, case study where they've invent, invented uh, a new airline brand. So they've done all the kind it's almost like a little mini brand guidelines for a, a made up airline on okay. Instagram. Uh, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I've got, we've talked before about the Lufthansa brand guidelines book that I've got, um, which is fantastic. And this has really got that kind of feel about it. Um, it kind of goes into all the brand colours and it's just a beautiful little bit of work and the, the typeface is nice enough. Um, you know, it's a sans serif. Um, which I kind of think, you know, we should have enough sans serifs to choose from now. But um, but yeah, Mash Creative, really, really beautiful. Mark Bloom is the uh, designer. I saw a beautiful bit of model making. Yes, uh, I, I saw this. follow I follow a lot of kind of kit bashers and model makers and people on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and this particular model is called the Queen Bee, and it's a spaceship. And it's the model itself is built by Jake Jerde, and he kind of puts these kits together. But uh, according to this other guy, he very rarely paints them. So this guy called uh, Marcel Delon has put it together in a little kind of diorama, this beautiful spaceship. And it's just a fantastic looking thing, beautifully put together. It's kind of like a little mini runway, a spaceship on there, and kind of a few technicians and kind of engineering guys kind of looking at various bits of it. And it's just a cracking bit of model making. You know, it really tells a story. Yeah, it looks like one of those um, uh, sort of effects where they do the uh, the, the heavy bokey on, uh, on video to make it look like it's a... Yes. Animation. Um, yeah, it, it reminds me of Jimmy Cauty's uh, things in glass jars as well. There were the scenes from British yes. uh, 
yubs and thugs. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, what a, what, a, what a hobby. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's called tilt shift, that effect. Tilt shift. Well done. Yeah. I need to tilt shift my brain to remember. <laughs> um, but I just absolutely love that. Uh, Helmut Newton, uh, fashion person. I don't really know anything about fashion. If you see me, you'll know mm-hmm. why. Um, but uh, a latest campaign for autumn was, I thought, brilliantly realised. Um, the photographer is Alexandra Lees. And it is, um, they've gone into a town of several towns in Wales and picked 80-year-old women to uh, to model their full 18 collection. Cool. Which is uh, autumn in, in proper speak. And uh, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. If you follow them on um, on Instagram, you'll see the photos about you know about a month ago, um, and they just look brilliant. And I think it's a great celebration of uh, of grannies. Yeah. <laughs> very, very. And you know, your life doesn't stop when you're forty. No, indeed. Yeah, they look great. Really lovely photographs. Uh, the other one is self promotion. Is that allowed? So I've got a new artist on board uh, and his name is George Allen and he's actually an architecture student at the Royal College of Art and he does hand drawings and he's been, I don't know whether he lives in Palermo or whether he's originally from Palermo, but um city in Sicily, uh, Sicily is plagued by these things called what the Italians call incomputo. Uh, that's my Italian accent there, uh, which means uh, unfinished. And basically it's uh, corruption. Um, so a building project kicks off, all the money gets siphoned off, and it, you, all you get is just sort of a pile of uh, breeze blocks in the middle of nowhere. And oh, as okay. you dri- as you drive around Sicily, you um, you see loads of them. Uh, there's shopping centres, there's uh, motorways that you know, sort of like um, I went past one that was a, a flight, you know, like a run run on onto a motorway that just stopped in midair. Yeah. Um, and around uh, Palermo, there's these um, unfinished sort of villas that were built up around the hills around um, the city. And he's kind of taken that as a project called a Giardino Incomputo. He's turned them into kind of, I'd say Heath Robinson is the closest comparison to some of the drawings. Yeah, Um, they're they're incredible things, aren't they? Yeah, they're lovely because they're sort of, they're part architecture, part comic, part part illustration. Uh, Even, um, is it... Patrick Caulfield, the old sort of pop artist, yeah. it sort of reminds me of that a little bit in the fact that uh, you've got this very nat- you've got very naturalistic uh, foliage, um, but then with loads of decaying concrete, etc., yeah. etc. His colour palette's fantastic. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm guessing he's he's a young'un, and uh, is, this is his first kind of project. I don't know, um, but he's um, I know nothing else about him. But anyway, welcome to the uh, to uh, to our little yeah gang. Absolutely. And obviously, you can find his work on elipress.co.uk. Yes, and and uh, and if you look up in Computo buildings, it is a rabbit hole and fascinating. Uh, people turning them into all sorts of uh, art spaces and living spaces and whatnot. Oh, cool. I was going to say that the, the New Adventures Conference has its website up and up and running. We talked about that a while ago, and there was kind of no information about it available. Yeah, well, um, talking of conference, we haven't been very successful with conferences, have we? So um, it was no. thought bubble this weekend. It was gutted seeing the kind of this kind of stream of uh, wonderful kind of getting together and meeting of people on uh, Thought Bubble in Leeds uh, last weekend. Uh, yeah, it was gutted that I couldn't be there. So definitely booking that in for next year. Yeah, 
Um, so the new new adventures is kind of um, it's a conference about web stuff, but um, it's more about the design and the sort of uh, the esoteric side of of things. Mm. Um, but the um, yeah, they've just added Brendan Dawes to the lineup, which when I first went, saw him there and he was absolutely just brilliant. Um, but they've got Jeremy Keith, who's uh, really great, and Ethan Marcotte, who kind of invented responsive design. Um, so there's some real big names there. Mm. It's just, it's a lot of money. And because for me, because it's in the Midlands, it's a long way to go. Well, it would be a, lo- a longer way to go and yeah. um, and very expensive for a couple of days. Yes. But I think if you live in the Midlands or there and thereabouts, then it's a perfect place to go to. Yeah, you'd probably end up shelling up 500 quid, wouldn't you? Yeah, easily. Yeah, if you're there for two or three days. But they, it looks like they've got all sorts of things going on um, over the whole uh, the whole conference. So they're doing like walking in the uh, in the countryside around yeah. uh, Nottingham and uh, they're doing bowling and they've got a football tournament and all sorts of things like that. So you can really get involved in it. Is it time for a topic, John? Yeah. Knock yourself out. It was your idea. <laughs> well, Creative Review have been exploring two things uh, over the last few weeks. One, one, the most recent one is, can creativity save the British high street? And before that, their podcast was talking about, uh, which kind of follows up something that we were looking at, which is, um, can design save anything? So is is it possible for design to change the way we behave or to change the way that we think about things? Um, and I thought that would be a good sort of uh, subject to uh, kick off some mm. some discussion over. Um, I'll say that the the saving the British High Street. Um, what's what's your what are your thoughts on the state of the British High Street and whether that you know? Well, I I was kind of wondering about this um, recently that. I wonder if there will just come a time, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in the news lately about, you know, the high street's really struggling. Um, you know, a lot of the blame is laid at the door of the online giants. Um, and I was kind of thinking to myself, is there going to come a time where there's, there just aren't any shops on the high street anymore? You know, maybe it's just going to be a, a, a Timpsons to get your keys cut and everything else you'll buy online. Um, and I was trying to picture what a high street would be like. You know, what would replace those shops? Would it just be, you know, estate agents and charity shops, which seem to be the the the, the uh, businesses that that fill up spaces when shops go under? Um, or would it, you know, would high streets just be turned into a you know a, a whole row of coffee shops and restaurants and Things like that, but you know, there's, there's, there's the high street is struggling in that regard as well. You know, there's lots of restaurant chains really struggling. So it's, I don't know. There's a, there's a whole shift, kind of. I think about to happen. I don't think it's happened yet, is there? About what the British high street is. Yeah. Um. My my take on it is that um, I think it's an easy subject for journalists just you know general uh journalists and also design journalists to focus on because it's so everyone can imagine what the high street what they, their perception of what the high mm. street was like um but i think the high street's been on a downward curve for 
you know, way before the digital revolution. Yeah. Um, and I think that the reason for that is that people, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I think that that's, that ship has already sailed and, and the large corp, the large, um, uh, well, most of the large ones have gone already, haven't they? Um, yeah. from, from, from my childhood. But I wonder whether the, um, trying to get my thoughts in, 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 in the right way here. What I mean is, is it, is it just easy to look at the high street and say, Oh, you know, it's going to die. It's going to die when actually it's been dying for so long. Um, and it's hard to differentiate between the, um, the brands that are doing really well and the brands that are failing. Uh, what, you know, it's in the discussion that they had on the podcast, it was really hard for them to identify why, for example, Primark is doing really, really well or, at the top end of things, Fortnum and Mason, mm. why they are doing so well and why someone like John Lewis is doing suddenly so yeah. badly yeah. or, um, you know, HMV, why they that they're <clears throat> failing. And, and a lot of it was, a lot of it was guff of them talking about, you know, metrics and you've got to create an experience for the user. Podcast bored my bits off. <laughs> I thought it was just, Three people. Was it three people? I think it yeah. was three people. They all sounded very much the same. I'm just talking around and around. I, I didn't, they didn't say a single thing that interested <clears throat> no, I, me. I don't think, I, I thought Zia Zarim Slade from Fortnum and Mason was really, I thought she was fascinating in that I think that she's talked about this a lot. And so therefore she had the right things to say, but mm. she wasn't, she, I don't know if she was aware that she was meant to be answering whether creativity yes. could save the high street. She was more sort of uh, uh, reporting back on, on what was happening, but none yes. of them, especially the bloke, I can't remember his name, but I thought he was useless. Mm. <laughs> he, he talked about, he kept talking about biometrics and all sorts of things like that. But I think um, that nobody knows it's so random. Why, why is it not happening? It's all, well, it's difficult as well. Looking at that, you know, looking at the high street and, and whatever you blame, you're blaming, you know the digital giants, whatever. You have to look at it in the 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 backdrop of we've had ten years of austerity in this country. You know, no one for the last decade has had as much money as they used to have. You know, the, there are kids that have grown up in austerity. We don't know anything else, so you can't you can't discount that as a or just kind of you know paper over that as a as a reason for why the high street is doing badly. Um, but they didn't, you know, they didn't really talk much about creativity in the British High Street, did they? No. I mean, I, you know, there are always going to be brands that, I mean, I think the brands that do well are the brands that, and this was touched upon actually, are the brands that react quickest to change, you know, it, whether it's changing fashion or customers buying habits or, or digital buying habits. You know, they're, those are the companies that do best. It's it's kind of the big companies that struggle to change, whether it's Marks and Spencers or John Lewis, that are, that are going to struggle. Yeah, it, it's change management, isn't it, more than design? And yeah. uh, there's a quote from, in the in the article online, there's a quote from um, Old Wolf, Old mm. Wolfie, uh, yeah. the, the, he says, uh, creativity and design involves choosing attitudes as well as typefaces. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, that hits the nail on the head that 
it's about uh, the experience when you go into a shop is is everything about that brand. If it's an important brand and it's selling things that are associated with that experience. If, so, for example, if you go into, um, let's say, a Skoda dealership mm-hmm. and you have a bad experience, um, then that's going to reflect on your perception of Skoda as a brand. Yep. If you go, if you go into um, John Lewis and you buy a, I don't know, say you buy a Kenwood t- t- uh, kettle and it blows up after the first week, that's not going to affect your impression of John Lewis as a brand. It is if you go in there and, you know, they refuse to take it back or they're really unhelpful. Yeah. That, and that's where these brands are falling down in the terms of like how they present themselves to the public. Um, you know, I would say one of the things about John Lewis that they were always really renowned for is their customer service. Yeah. And it's just not, it's not there anymore. When you go in, you, you know, it, it's, it doesn't have that uh, that personal touch. I wonder um, how much that is to do with the economic climate, though. You know, wages haven't kept up with <clears throat> with price rises. There's you know an increase in zero hours contracts and um, part time jobs. You know, no one has the kind of job, the full time job for life anymore. So maybe it's harder to get your employees to buy into your ethos and to reflect that in the way they treat customers and the way they work than it used to be. Yeah, I totally agree. And and, and if you keep change, if you do it too much, if you, if you involve designers too much in that process, so John Lewis have had another rebrand. Um, what, what's the point? It's just going to no, confuse that even more because it, it's still, it's not such a big change that it's, um, you know, it's completely reinvented the wheel for them. It's just, it's for me, it's made it more complicated and more, uh, more confusing to the to the customer because it's trying to be a high end brand, which it it isn't because it doesn't sell products that high. Yeah. It sells I other also people's. I also don't see for their customers what the the benefit of you know having the kind of and partners thing rammed down their throat is. Customers right. don't care. No, that's that. entirely for internal, isn't it? And should yeah. that be outward facing? No, it's very um, strange. Yeah, it is. It is really, really odd. Um, and we haven't talked about how design can do anything yet, have we? This is all about business. Well, this is this is this is it, and this is what the podcast kind of got, tra- you know, fell down that that went down that path, and it couldn't get back up to yeah. how can creativity change? It cannot. It it just can't do it, can it? I, I wonder if you know creativity saving the British High Street. Maybe it needs to, you know, be a much bigger uh, project, uh, kind of a holistic look at what a British high street is. I'm sure there's all sorts of terrible things happening in it exactly this way at the minute. But, you know, the British high street isn't what it was 10 years ago, and it certainly isn't what it was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago when, you know, kind of people have this misty-eyed view of, you know, pre, pre-Europe, British em- empire and everything. Um, so maybe just our view of what the British high street is needs to change. And maybe that's where creativity can step in, um, and provide some answers and some solutions. So maybe, you know, as shops leave the high street, what replaces them? You know, is it live workspaces? Is it, um, 
boutiques? Is it you know more things like box park where you can have pop up stores? You know, you know, there's yeah, there's got to be a, yeah, a flexible for working places that yeah. are also delivery Ex- sort of hubs and yeah. I think that's where um, creativity can can step in. I don't think yeah, it's a case think of in the, saving individual brands. No, and I think in the article uh, it sort of mentions some Japanese ones where they serve tea while you browse your thing. I mean, mm. we've had cafes in you know appalling cafes in bookshops for ages and ages. That doesn't yeah. make people stay in and read books. That no. that doesn't that doesn't sell anything. It just it just creates a sort of an area where people sit around doing nothing. Um, yeah, it's, it's another revenue stream, isn't it? It's not about enhancing people's book buying experience. No, unless you've got a specifically designed space, like let's say yeah. I, I hate to go there, but like you know, Apple have theatres in large in their larger stores, yeah. don't they? Where they'll do lectures and educational stuff. Um, it's that kind of retail experience that people are wanting now. I mm. mean, even if you go to like the rebrand that when I I worked on the rollout of a lot of the rebrand of um, McDonald's stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of the technical drawing stuff behind it and the the wallpaper. Um, and that was uh, a reinvention of, you know, very bright, very uh, almost sterile. I mean, McDonald's was sort of sterile kitchen-like places, yeah. weren't they? With tiled and bright lights. And they've turned into kind of like a, a dark cafe, um, much more conducive to eating. I mean, mm. you know, not that I ever go into McDonald's, but the um, the general public's expectation is is has has been raised so much that they felt that they needed to do that. But then, if you look at the creative process that went on behind those scenes, it was still one of corporate greed at one end, smashing down all of the. Uh, all of the suppliers and contractors down to the nth degree of getting these things done. Yep. They, I should be careful what I say. <laughs> all of these wallpapers were basically ripped off JPEGs that they blew up um, and reprinted. <laughs> let's just, uh, let's just throw an allegedly in there. <laughs> allegedly. Um, but it's like these kind of fake paste, pasting over cracks kind of thing doesn't get out the way that the fact that, we're talking about the death of the high street isn't such, you know, yeah, um, butchers and bakers and all those lovely things that people still, you know, they that that's the heart of the British high street that's mm. in most people's sort of nostalgic memory of, of what we're talking about here. Yeah. But actually, most of the other things are just massive stores, corporate faceless entities that you shouldn't really care about whether they exist or not. You know, I don't, I couldn't care less about Debenhams or BHS or, you know, McDonald's. I couldn't care less. So I don't have any, um, I don't have any nostalgia for it. I don't, you know, the high street for me is just a long, you know, yeah, it's, it's not an interesting place to visit or, or, or be. It never has been, you know? Um, And I think that's, that's quite a wide opinion, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, if I go to kind of into town or, you know, visit, you know, the nearest sort of big shopping high street, it's it's generally as a, I'm going out for lunch and I'll have a quick look around the shops pre or post lunch. You know, that's why I visit, not necessarily to do my shopping. And, you, and, and people want to go to large, you know, like malls or, you know, Westfield kind of experiences yeah. because they can spend three or four hours there, do all the bits and then they're gone again. Whereas, you know, 
going to your high street, you're never going to find anything, are you? you know? <laughs> Especially if I go into Alton, it's just, there's nothing there. But, um, I don't, I, but we've completely, you see, we're avoiding that kind of that creativity thing. Um, I think that creativity can't, it can't, uh, help the high street. I don't think it will make any difference to the, it, you know, the eventual death of it. I think that them talking about, um, uh, there was a lot of talk about, uh, channels. So, you know, digital and, uh, and, uh, what, what would you call it? Reality. Yeah. What, do you, what would you call it? Know, hard, bricks hard and goods mortar. or uh, bricks and mortar. I think that's disingenuous. And I think that that boat has sailed for a lot of, mm. uh, a lot of businesses. Um, and I think that it's often people who aren't digital natives, you know, we've got to think that most digital natives now are nearing 30, aren't they? That they've, yeah. they've had that all their lives. Um, that they don't see it. They don't see shops like that. Um, but the people who control the purse strings still see shops and websites as completely different things. So, but I don't see how the joining up of them will make a brand any more successful. Uh, do you? I mean, no, I no, I, I, they're, they're just separate things. Aren't they? Yeah. I can't. I mean, it's, cl- it's clearly, it's clearly successful for, you know, if you think like the best, uh, one of the best online experiences, I guess is, uh, so let's, let's go back to John Lewis. So you can you can order from John Lewis, and it will arrive next day in any Waitrose or yes. which is the supermarket or John Lewis store, which is absolutely amazing logistics. Mm. If you try and do that with Marks and Spencer, it, <laughs> then forget it because it takes it takes a lot longer. But um, they're still struggling. So you know, and they've done all that work. So where do they go next? What do they do? You know? Yeah. They just, they go to, they turn to design to a rebrand. That's never going to fix their problem because we can't identify what that problem is. Yeah, it (laughs) is. uh, um, Yes. It's rolling a turd in glitter, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Um, If we go on from there to um, the, uh, the political kind of thing of, uh, of, so, um, my mind has gone. So yeah. Um, where, um, can creativity change thinking? Can it change political thinking? Are you, where are you in the same place as, as, as can it change retail behavior or? Well, I think, I don't think creativity can change political thinking, uh, in a kind of political leadership sense but i think creativity can probably change public opinion which then has to be reflected by political thinking you think about the uh plastic in the oceans stuff or or um kind of ikea doing stuff for refugees those are kind of little niche projects that probably get more um column inches than than they deserve in terms of impact but they get talked about a lot and that that then is kind of reflected in public opinion, I think. Um, you know, I don't think designers are ever going to um, have uh, have much of an impact so that they immediately change political thought. Do you? No, I don't think so at all. Um, I think that there's a, there's a very blurry line between making a message from a political voice slick Mm. And also uh, making a protest piece or making a statement, um, I think that it's easy for one to jump over to the to the other. And 
where you know where does that start and end so you know when does a protest poster become a political movement poster you could say like the bernie sanders stuff a lot of his posters were created by graphic artists uh, yep. you know obama's um fairy shepherd one is is, is a similar yes. example that it's created and then taken up like you said as, as a flag almost and used as a political banner um and i think that's that's quite powerful but that's not it is but the, the, is, is that kind of hanging on to the coattails of something that's already a popular movement, like in the case of Obama? Yeah. You know, the the Hope, Shepherd Ferry Hope poster didn't create Obama's popularity, did it? It was just a one small kind of focus for for his popularity. What do we want? <laughs> Where do we get it? Uh, those kind of posters, they, they never get picked up by politicians to use as, as no. messages, do they? As slogans. No. And I think that's what, um, you know, Anthony Burrell's work is, is, is trying to do, isn't it? Is, is, is it's taking that kind of slogan work, but making it, um, I wouldn't say banal, but it's, it, it, he, he uses everyday phrases, doesn't he? To, yes. you know, or sort of positive they're almost like positive thinking posters, but he is making a point with them in the fact that is it are our voices heard? Is anyone listening to them? Is mm. it does it matter what is written on that poster if you're making a making a point? Um, he he says he says it, it's visual communication, not graphic design. Which I I'm not, I wasn't sure I was I understand the difference that's, between no, the that's two. That's kind of that's more saying it's the message, not the medium, isn't it? Right, which. Is fair enough, but that's okay if you're a, if you're out at a protest. You know, you can scroll anything on a on a banner these days, and if you know if it gets picked up by the metro, you'll be a meme before dinner time. But um, in terms of kind of lasting political design, I don't think there's a difference between visual communication and graphic design. I, I've got an an object that kind of sums this up, which is the punked phone. Have you seen this? <laughs> Only phone? since you linked it to me. <laughs> so um, this is designed trying to change or tr- trying to hold back tides, I guess. Um, and this is product design, but it could be, you know, any other examples are, are welcome. But basically, uh, this company have designed a mobile phone that is featureless. The the Obviously, the, the first sticking point is the fact that you can buy a Nokia featureless, you know. Exactly. Uh, Feature phone. You, you can buy an Alcatel. Quid. Yeah, you can buy an Alcatel feature phone for a fiver. Yeah, this one is they've totally ripped off Dita Rams yeah. um, in design. So buttons are circular. It looks like a calculator. The sad thing is that the implementation of it is it seems like it breaks all the time. Um, really? And it yeah, it's got terrible reviews of like, reliability. Um, that's the kind of primary thing that you want in a phone that is doesn't have any features and it? it's, it's just, just, it's just this is an absolute it, load of bollocks yeah but it? this is this is what this is what can damage the damages i think the design industry so much in terms of it trying to change behavior um or trying to um make a point uh it just makes the wrong thing it, <clears throat> i don't know I, I don't know what am i trying to say here well, i don't know but but this you know this is for people who want to get away from their phones they don't want to be constantly connected they're worried about how much time they're spending on apps so you know these people punked have designed a crappy phone that looks like a 1970s calculator that has no features apple have gone about it the other way haven't they 
Apple have in their latest um, iOS thing, they've introduced screen time. So that helps to nudge you away from being constantly on your phone or constantly on apps or it allows you to, to kind of get away from that always connected mentality. But it doesn't do it by giving you a crap phone. It does it by breaking down the amount of time that you spend on the, your phone and allowing you to control the, how much time you spend on specific apps or on specific activities and that, and then showing you how much time you're spending, which is, it's all this kind of, uh, what's it called? Nudge economics, which is, you know, kind of giving you a little nudge to try and change your behavior. You know, I think Apple's, whether or not screen time works for you or not, I think Apple's implementation of uh, a method to, you know, to control the amount of time you spend online is a damn sight better than punked. And punked is the kind of the high street approach, isn't it? It's like, this is a shop. It doesn't have any online stuff in it. Come in and browse and buy our products, but actually there's no products in that shop. (laughs) Whereas Apple's is like, well, we've got an online and an offline experience. You can buy it here. You can buy it there, but it's all one same price. So they they don't have to worry about that kind of, um, I can go into a bookshop, scan a book, go back, buy on Amazon. One's a sophisticated approach and one's, yeah, sledgehammer's cracking up. But the punct is the design way, isn't is it? it, it, it is, is it the it, designed way to do it? Or is it, you know, a couple of blokes on Kickstarter thinking this is the design way to do it? Mm. I think it's a, you know, it's a non-designer's idea of what a designer's way to solve a problem is. That, that's, yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I know I've, got, I've gone away from the, the high street thing, but what I'm trying to demonstrate no. is the fact that it's it's very hard for design or for something uh, that is so um, subjective to uh, to make its value known uh, outside yes. of the creative process. So, for example, you know, by throwing stats and measurements and uh, all that kind of you know and return on investment and all that kind of stuff at the effects that a campaign might have on a product or on a brand is uh, all very well. But if you just let the creativity, that piece stand on its own without any of that measurement, it's impossible to, to put a value on it, isn't it? Because you have no knowledge of what that is doing to the, to the sales of a product. I think you're admitting defeat at the beginning. If you feel that you have to do that, you know, if you have to explain why you've done something, it's not, it's not doing the job you designed it to do, whether that's a rebrand or a product you have to go into, you know, nitty bitty detail about this is why we made these decisions. You know, they should be obvious and they should just make the product or the experience better. Yeah. You shouldn't need to spell it out. No, but people want that, don't they? Do they? <laughs> well, yeah, because they're trying to, they're trying to tell their bosses or their, uh, their investors that, yeah, well, we've made this, you know, so let's take, for example, the uh, John Lewis rebrand recently there'll be discussions about the value that that is returning to the business. But how do you measure that? You know, the fact that they used black thick lines that are three mil lines rather than two mil lines. What, that, what's the difference in the that's revenue? Just the ba- that's just the bad thing about design, isn't it? This, this need to kind of post rationalize. Yeah, it is. It, it's like, do, do, you know, and that's what I think why Burrell makes that dis- distinction between visual <laughs> communication and graphic design, where, 
it visual communication stretches from just that you know the uh, the aesthetic feel of uh, of a uh, of a particular piece of work and the effect and the friction that it has across mm. all different kinds of approaches so whether that affects the bottom line or or touches on emotional um levels of customers or, or whatever it does that that it's that differentiation between the two things that people are missing in the fact that is design can it save anything because i think yeah. visual communication and we could probably carry on till the cows come home about this but visual communication or that that kind of that broad spectrum of a the way that a brand communicates with its audience that is uh that can change can it and that can save yeah something <laughs> but i think we should save that for another time <laughs> Do, do we make any sense there? Do we get anywhere? Absolutely. I don't think no. we've got anywhere, but, um, you know, can creativity save the British High Street? No. <laughs> or maybe it can. <laughs> uh, I don't, we could talk about this for another yeah. hour. Or yeah, two. it's fascinating stuff. Um, but then, John, our yes, pies would my be pie's been out of the oven for ages. Should we skip straight to yeah. pies? I've got a chicken and leek pie from my favourite butchers, Armstrong's, uh, in St Margaret's. Uh, Have you had this one already? Oh no, it's not. In, it's not from Armstrong's in St Margaret's. It's from Robson's in Hampton Hill. Mm. Well, has just corrected me. Um, I don't know if I've had this one. It's chicken and leek. I think I've had chicken and ham from there before. Ah. Um, it's very full. Short crust pastry, absolutely jam packed, full of chicken. Uh, bear with me one moment. That's delicious. Really succulent, nice crispy pastry, just enough leek, you know, so it's not too kind of oniony, leaky. Mm. That's really good. Mm. I don't think I have had that one before. That's going to get an eight. Wow. Straight eight, John, just for you. <laughs> Very good. Uh, I've got a lamb, rosemary and red currant pie from a company called Mud. I don't know mm-hmm. where this came from, but it was marked down. Maybe Waitrose, somewhere like that. Okay. Uh, it's a very nice looking pie, short crust with a little lamb on the top. Um, I'm opening it up. Oh, yeah, it's got good gravy in it. Lovely lamb. I can't taste any red currant, but then I wouldn't. I can smell the rosemary. It's yeah. fantastic pastry. Uh, really, really good. I'm going to give that an eight too, Rob. Oh, excellent. Mm. A marvellous oh, really surprise. Mm. And it was, yeah, really good. Right. Well, we'll be back on it next week, uh, whether we try and make sense of that conversation we had. um, Mm. I don't know. But if you've got any thoughts or you want to uh, chime in, then we're on uh, Twitter somewhere. Yeah, you can find us. You know where to find us by now, don't you? Yeah. So, um, yeah, have a lovely weekend. Marvellous. Absolutely. Good to talk to you, John. You too, mate. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.